Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is David Sullivan, co-founder and CEO of Till. Till operates in the rental payment space. There's half a trillion dollars of rental payments made in the U.S. every year. Many of the folks who are renting 50 million households struggle to pay rent on a month-to-month basis, leading to over a million evictions every year, as well as payday loans, high penalties from landlords. And despite the size of this space, despite the challenges with it, it is poor in data, poor in analytics, poor in tools to help renters pay rent, stay in their homes, and create value for landlords. David talks about how Till is addressing all of these problems, the platform it's created, which is a win-win for both landlords and for tenants. I think it's a really interesting area. I think David has an incredible solution. NextGen Venture Partners is very happy to be an investor in Till. And having personally sat at the board meetings, I believe David is perhaps the best operator I've ever seen at setting goals and executing against goals internally and with his team. And so at the very end, uh, David talks about his philosophy of goal setting. This is an interesting conversation, both for that, uh, as well as for the space David is going after. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. David Sullivan, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. David, let's start uh, with hi- the history of Till. What's the origin story? Yeah, so it it really starts with a, a profound experience I had. I was the COO for a real estate startup called The American Home, and that company started in 2010 post-Great Recession, and our thesis was that we could buy foreclosed homes, renovate them, and then rent them out. And so we were one of the first single-family rental or SFR Uh, REITs put together. We were private equity backed. And as COO, I was responsible for uh, really what all landlords are responsible for. Uh, So it was, how do you you create an asset, a good home environment for people? And then how do you you select renters into the right home for them? How do you support them through their life cycle as a customer of yours? Uh, And then and then how do you set them up for success, whether in your home or as they transition into home ownership? So in that, in that role uh, and taking on that responsibility, two kind of really profound things hit me. Uh, one was just how financially challenged the consumer is, the renter consumer. Um, they are constantly living paycheck to paycheck. They are facing hardship basically every single month juggling between how do I pay my rent and kind of fill in the blank, do whatever else in their life, be it fix their car, buy their kids clothes to go back to school, um, go on a vacation. So rent, what my realization was is rent is constantly sitting at this consumer's, it's a central part of this consumer's financial life. And it's happening to them every single month, forcing them to make hard decisions. So that was one, one really profound takeaway. And then the second was just as a landlord, as renters tripped and stumbled, uh, I just didn't feel like I had an adequate tool set to be working with them. I I wasn't sure which renters were going to have trouble. And then when renters did run into trouble, I didn't actually have any unique ways to work with them to improve their ability to stay in the home and then my ability to work with them. So that... That really profound experience over five years forms the genesis of 
what we're working on at Till. Help us understand sort of the size and scope of that challenge. So how many renters are there? What percent of them may struggle to make rent? What happens when they in fact do struggle? Yeah. So a a quick just market overview. There's about 47 million households, over 120 million people just in the U.S. alone rent. It's about a third of our uh, population. And we think that the majority of people rent face these issues. Um, there's We, we kind of talk about the market as you have your class A trophy buildings. There's been an overbuilding of that supply over the last decade of people. These are people that rent as a lifestyle choice. They are high net worth, high earners for the Henry population. And they're either renting because it's uh, they don't want to own a home or they're renting on a transition into home ownership. Uh, everything below that, really, uh, the real estate market talks about you know, class B, class C, workforce, affordable housing, uh, we believe really fits our target demographics. We think the majority of the, the renter population has financial challenges that they are constantly managing and juggling. Um, then at the very low end of the market, you have fully subsidized rental housing. You have Section 8 or LIHTC, low-income housing tax credits. Uh, that population struggles financially to the degree where uh, the government is supporting them through through some subsidy mechanism. Um, but the majority, we think probably close to 40 million households, uh, have financial challenges and uh, the home is sitting at the center of those challenges. Does that, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah. And so when you were COO of American Home or when other landlords have tenants who just can't make their rent, what happens? Yeah. So today it's uh, it's really painful ecosystem. So anytime a renter is facing some challenge, uh, and we see every single month uh, within our portfolios, we see people anywhere from 5% to 30% of the portfolio will struggle to pay rent on time. So rent today is inflexibly structured. It's due on the first of the month. I'm sure everyone listening has had to rent at some point in their life and they've faced paying that monthly monthly bill on the first. If a renter can't pay rent, what happens is landlords baked in, bake into the lease a stick and the stick is a, a late fee. And the late fee hits the renter usually on day five. It kind of varies by jurisdiction, but somewhere between day three and day six, usually day five, the renter gets hit with a late fee. And the late fee in many areas is 10% of rent. So if the average rent is $1,000 and the late fee is $100, um, it's a highly punitive fee that uh, only exacerbates the renter's default risk. So you're looking at a population who has is struggling to pay rent. That's like one of the highest priority expenses in their life. And if they're struggling to pay that, they're cash-strapped. Uh, if they're cash-strapped, does placing a high cost fee on them improve it or exacerbate the risk? So I started looking at this even with my own renters saying, there's got to be a better way other than just hitting renters with sticks and this late fee to work with them. And then just an extension of the problem. So once a renter is charged a late fee on the fifth of the month, there's another stick that comes behind them and that stick is an eviction. And so if a renter hasn't paid rent by the 15th of the month, the landlord will hit them with an eviction filing um, and they're allowed in pretty much every jurisdiction to charge the eviction filing fees, those legal and court fees back to the renter. So $1,000 is due on the first. If they can't pay by the fifth, they incur a $100 late fee. So now they owe $1,100. 
And then by the 15th of the month, they owe probably another three to $400. And so their total bill is around 14 or $1,500. Then rent is due two weeks later. And so as a landlord, you just know if renters hit that day 30 mark with an outstanding balance, they're likely so far behind. They likely don't have the earning potential to catch back up. They are likely on a path to eviction. And so uh, as we started observing this, I started wondering, there's, there's got to be a better way to understand the renter's current financial situation and then work with them. So as a landlord, you might have two people show up who can't pay rent on time. One's probably getting paid in a couple of days and it's just going to be just fine. The other might have lost their job and is now a systemic risk. Yet as a landlord, we just don't have a way to understand that and then work appropriately with the renter based on their specific uh, situation. Tell us how Till solves that problem. Yeah. So we've designed Till with the mission to radically improve the renter's ability to pay rent and stay in the home. And we do that through landlord partnerships to maximize their success and their returns. So we believe that there's a massive win-win opportunity sitting in rental housing um, to improve a renter's outcome and thus improve the landlord's outcome. So the way we do that is it really starts uh, with the core of Till, which is a data and analytics platform. So we take unique data sets, including rent roll data, alternative credit data, and even cash flow data on the consumer to build predictive models. And what we're looking to do first as a platform is predict the renter's ability to pay rent and stay in the home. Those two things equate to predicting a renter's lifetime value. So can we just, as a baseline, predict the renter's behavior and baseline actions towards lifetime value? And then the second thing we aim to do as a platform is to improve those outcomes. So we build products today that improve the renter's ability to pay rent and renew the lease. Um, and then we have a vision for opening that up to other products all around the second objective of the platform. Can we improve the renter's ability, uh, their ability to pay, their ability to stay, and ultimately their lifetime value for them and the landlord? Tell us about some of the products that help both landlords and tenants that you're building. Yeah, sure. So we have two products in market. Uh, the first is the first product we took out to market is the rental loan. And the rental loan steps in as a reactionary me measure, and it enables a renter to pay rent when they're facing some form of episodic hardship. So they are going to get back on track. They are employed, but they are facing a temporary cash shortfall. So they, we uh, partner with the landlord. The landlord distributes us into their communities. And then we work with the renters who are facing those challenges. And uh, for the renters that we partner with, we actually pay their rent for them directly to the landlord partner. And then we set up, it's a six-month consumer installment loan, fully amortizing, no prepay penalty, and it pays down over time. And the way we've designed it is to be uh, multiples cheaper than both of the current credit substitutes that that renter faces or has the opportunity to work with if they're late. The two substitutes being the late fees that we talked about early, earlier, highly punitive, short-term, two-week bullet maturity uh, credit solution. Uh, most late fees are a, a multi-hundred percent APR or a payday loan. Uh, payday or title loans are two-week bullet maturity, multi-hundred percent APRs. So we've designed the rental loan to be a product that first and foremost gives the renter enough term to get back on track. So we'll give them up to six months to get there. 
And then the pricing of the rental loan is usually about $50 a month. And it allows the renter to uh, save money against the late fee or payday option while giving them enough runway extension to truly uh, survive this episodic hardship they're facing. So that's the first product. And then the second product uh, that's recently come into market is called FlexPay. And FlexPay is a proactive uh, opportunity to work with the renter. So what it does is it matches the renter's rental payments with their pay cycles. So what we observed with a rental loan is a lot of people just have intra-month cash timing issues. Budgeting, we're all bad at budgeting. And budgeting for your biggest expense, especially when uh, earning potential is capped or when other issues arise, other expenses arise or temporary income fluctuations occur, budgeting is really hard. And so what FlexPay does is it steps in and it proactively matches the renter's rental payments with their pay cycles using a dynamic cash flow analysis. And so tell us, what would future products look like in addition to the ones that are in the marketplace today? Yeah, so we, th- we, v- we view Till's start as having three beachhead products. There's And the three beachhead products do the three things the landlord is spo- responsible for. So the first is, how do you select renters into the right homes and leases? The second is, how do you then set them up for success to make sure that they they can uh, optimize their living situation in your home? And then the third is, how do you support them through the life cycle? And so the three beachhead products that we're taking to market match those responsibilities. So we have a renter screening product that will come to market later this year. We have FlexPay, which is setting the renter up for success through dynamic uh, rental payment structures as well as lease structures. And then we support the renters with the rental loan and other products uh, that I'll talk about in a second. So those are the three beachhead products that we're taking to market. All of them drive off of the core objectives of the platform. How do we build data science initiatives that one, uniquely understand and can predict a renter's behavior? And then two, how do we use these beachhead products to impact their ability to pay rent and stay in the home? When uh, when you then look at the data sets that are coming together and ability to be uniquely understanding and working with renters and their landlords, I think it opens up three kind of really big vision opportunities for Till. So the first is a consumer marketplace. So we're developing really unique and valuable channel access into the underbanked uh, subprime, near prime, low prime consumer demographic through these partnerships. So I believe that there will be a suite of products, a continuum of care taken into the renter population. Um, We don't believe that we should build everything. We think many products have been built well. We see a lot of our value proposition being as uh, as a consumer marketplace or channel distribution strategy. So we believe that other products that are rent specific will come through there, such as renter's insurance or security deposit insurance alternatives. Um, all the way to there's just consumer uh, opportunities, consumer product opportunities that renters need access to. We see a lot of people in this population way overburdened with the wrong kinds of debt. They're too like the pricing is too high. They've been outstanding for too long. Balances are outstanding. So there's a big debt consolidation opportunity. There's financial budgeting and better financial management opportunities in the space. So the first kind of vision opportunity is around a consumer marketplace. Uh, The second is uh, the unique understanding of the consumer. So 
as we can better uniquely understand consumer behavior, uh, how can we use that to improve the underwriting of other products in the market? And then the third is a suite of products that enable the landlord to better optimize their asset. And so today, when assets are acquired or disposed of, most of the diligence is done around the hard physical asset. You know, what's, what's the useful life of HVAC units and roofs, et cetera. There's not a lot of diligence done on the financial health of the renter population or the credit risk of the renter population. So we believe that we can take our unique understanding of, of the renter and the renter financial health and better underwrite future cash flow in the portfolio. Um, another product opportunity in uniquely understanding the renter is actually factoring rent. I think there's a lot, there will be a lot of demand for factored rent in the DIY or mom and pop marketplace where we can step in and we can say, hey, we're willing to give you, you know, a nine, $10,000 advance on this cash flow over the next year um, in return for collecting the rent cash flow on that renter uh, going forward. So it's somewhat surprising, uh, at least to the layman, that something like this hasn't been done before. And what I mean by that is there's so much money that's paid every year in rent. And when you think about, say, credit card payments, right, also huge amounts of money flowing through that, the level of sophistication of underwriting and adjusting for individual credit card payers is very, very high. You look at the rental market and you don't have anything remotely like that. What explains that? Yeah, it's an amazing analogy. Uh, the credit industry over the last 20 years has taken a big data, heavy data science approach to this, where they, like you were saying, they're basically every single day analyzing us as their customers or us as their potential customers and looking at how much credit access do we give them? How do we cross-sell another product opportunity? Should we increase their principal opportunity? Should we decrease it? Should we increase rate? Should we decrease rate? And so they're constantly looking use, with a lens of a, a, a risk-based lens at the consumer around what actions should they make to optimize that consumer's lifetime value. Uh, the rental space is its a crazy how little innovations happened over the last few decades. And as you said, this is a $700 billion payment space annually. It is credit. Rent is credit. It's the biggest form of credit for most of this consumer population. It's an, it's an installment loan, right? It happens every single month. Um, but there are no risk-based, uh, there's no risk-based data science in this ecosystem yet. Um, I'm seeing some of it happen in the underwriting and renter screening space. I think there's a, a little bit of innovation happening there. Um, but I think a lot of the innovation is currently happening on just standard bureau files. And a lot of the challenge of that is that the bureau file is either uh, not a great predictor for the low prime, subprime, low prime, near prime, subprime demographic, or like it doesn't exist. You have 20 to 20 ish percent of the population unscored or thin file within the bureau. Um, so I think we need a new approach to how we understand risk and it's time to be innovating in this space. But I agree with you. Uh, it's surprising to me that this opportunity is sitting right in front of us. 
So one of the things that's interesting about Till to me as an investor who, who looks at lots of different kinds of companies is that there are plenty of startups who come to us and say, hey, we have this differentiated underwriting model for XYZ credit. And everyone, you know, criticizes the credit bureaus and rightly so. But what you have that none of them have is a really valuable source of data that is the prior rental payment history of all the folks that you might be underwriting from the loan perspective. So that that was certainly uh, really attractive to us as investors in Till. And one of the other interesting things about that sort of prior history of rental loan payment is that if you, as a renter, don't pay your rent, your landlord will sort of let the credit bureaus know your, your credit score will go down. If you do pay your rent, you don't get any credit for it. So you do get credit for paying your credit card bill on time, but you don't get any credit for paying your rent on time. And that strikes me as probably not quite right. So how does that play out in the world of Till? Yeah, it's really interesting. So the uh, looking at data value and new, new credit model value, I think you have to be really careful. Uh, one, I never want to say like, oh, we, we now found it. Like it's not a binary thing. Like the credit model is way smarter than something else. It is a long-term evolution of how do you combine unique data sets to create unique understandings. And there's different degrees of value in the different understandings. So like our understanding of on-time rental payments varies by every single community that we're in. Uh, our understanding of renewal rates varies by every single community that we're in, and there's different degrees of value with it. So I'm always wary of people that pitch like, oh, we have this like absolutely new thing and it's it's gold. Um, I think it's uh, it's like a compounding return benefit with just the more data you get, the more like data network effect is driven. And you have to have like a really long-term time horizon to be creating that value. I think what, what you're hitting on is we do have this kind of unique perspective in how is a renter doing? How are they paying rent? Are they doing a good job? But a lot of the real power comes with combining that uh, understanding with other forms of data. The bureau data is valuable. Um, and the bureaus have been at that data science for 50 years. So uh, it's combining it with this other data set. It's combining it with the renter's cash flow data. It's combining it with proprietary data that we get through engagement and interaction uh, sentiment data from from the uh, the renter and the landlord. So to me, data value is about combining unique data sets and then looking at the value on a specific like case by case basis. For us, the specific renter within a certain community within a certain ge- geography and how they are uniquely positioned. The other thing, like the thing I get really excited about with Till is it's not just about like unique understanding. Like the bureaus have so much data that we will never have because they've been at it for so long. So I, when I think about Till, like what is the opportunity to bring about change in rental housing? I think it's not just in the unique understanding, but it's actively developing products product suites. It's about having an innovative product mindset and a product-centric organization that is looking at the unique understanding and then uh, eating our own cooking by translating that into products that do positively affect outcomes, positively improve the on-time payments or improve the, the outcomes that like the landlord is looking for within the renter population. 
Um, there's a there's a product advisor that we have who I think is absolutely fantastic, and he had a quote which I'll paraphrase, which is like product success should be defined by looking at your customers' outcomes, not necessarily your own outcomes. And so what does the landlord want? The landlord wants to improve the on-time pay rate. So how do we take our unique understanding, convert it into a product that does that for them? And that is how we can win and scale, um, leveraging the data science opportunity. David, I want to shift topics for a moment. As an investor until I've been fortunate to be in your board meetings for seven, eight months now, and coming out of a meeting a few months ago, I remember making the comment, you know, you and your team set goals better than any company I've seen, at least sort of until the kind of Series B stage. And then another investor said, yeah, actually, you set goals better than any company I've ever seen, Series B or beyond included. What's your philosophy or your approach to goal setting internally? Any tips that you can share with, with folks out there? Oh, yes. Well, uh, thank you for that generous statement. I, it, it's great to hear because we've struggled with it ourselves. Um, I think we've get to good products, but it's, it's not just this like magical thing that's happened for us. Um, I think, one, I've been lucky to have done this at another company. And so I've seen how it can come together somewhat successfully. Um, but I think it's a journey for every company to get there. Uh, we've gone through three versions of OKR management here at Till uh, to get to the place that we're currently at. So it, we've failed twice to get to this good spot or improving spot. I think one is, uh, or the first thing I think about when goal setting is, like, what type of culture are we trying to set within the company? And the culture I want is one of uh, one where we bring in people that are startup smart or have startup intelligence. So I want people that are going to, as autonomously as possible, take action and do it as quickly as possible. And so one way to encourage that or to enable that is to make sure that we've set the right objective and we're measuring it correctly with the right key results so that everyone across the organization is aligned on uh, where we're going and how the different teams, our growth teams, our product teams, um, our tech teams, our credit and data science teams, how we are all coming together to build towards the right thing uh, in an aligned way. I think the the second thing is with wanting autonomy, I think the the objective of me with goal setting is here's what I need to accomplish with the company. Here's what we as a leadership team or our investors, here's what we all believe we should accomplish. Okay. So once you're aligned there, I don't actually care how you get there. Um, I want people like the reason you hire people and you pay people is to be smart. It's to bring their thought leadership, their subject matter expertise to the table and their unique creativity to to creating the output. So a core like cultural philosophy we have at Till is outcomes over effort. I want everyone to work smart first. I then want everyone to work as hard as possible um, within balance, but hardworking means outcomes over effort, smart and hard work. And so it's amazing to me, what I love about leadership is when you can set an objective and the clear measure that you have the right person in place is they creatively get you there in an independent and autonomous way. 
And what's even better is when they bring a solution to bear that like you otherwise wouldn't have thought of. Um, so rather than micromanaging an outcome, just set the right outcome or objective and then let people drive towards it. I think the other like great thing is like all of these startup environments are resource constrained. You never have enough to do enough. So it really focuses the prioritization of effort in a really dramatic and important way. Um, and then enables everyone to kind of bring their bottoms up creativity towards, towards getting there. Is that helpful? It is helpful. And I think a great note to end on. So David, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs should not be relied on and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.